Hello, and welcome to Learn to Love, a show where we talk all about things you can do to build a better, stronger relationship. Our team is powered by passionate volunteers looking to bring forward the best of what they know to help you stay together. Love is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Our podcast, articles, and videos feature insights from the latest research on relationship psychology, intimacy, conflict resolution, parenting, and more. You don't need to go in blind and make the same mistakes as those around you. Check us out on our brand new website at learnlove.ca or listen on our podcast, the Learn to Love podcast. Thank you for joining us in our vision to create healthier relationships and stronger families. Hello and welcome to this brand new episode on the Learn to Love podcast. I'm so excited to welcome you here. A little bit of a break since our last month as we're editing, working hard to launch season two of the show. We've done more than a dozen interviews with interesting authors, thought leaders, and other counselors in the field of relationship dynamics and wellness, and I'm super excited to get those rolling out to you towards the end of the month. We've also been making a lot of progress on our course. Um, We are modifying it a little bit after our initial pilot, um, but it is out, Love Smarter, Not Harder, on Udemy if you're interested. To all of our listeners of this podcast, I'm happy to give it away to you for free. Um, for a limited time, so email uh, contact at learnedlove.ca if you want to get a coupon code that makes the course free for you. I'd love to hear your feedback as we continue to pilot it and make it better. In this episode, I want to talk to you more about relationship dynamics and the roles that partners play in relationships that lead to their demise. Some very common exchanges that occur between partners when divorce is near, um, or affairs, um, and a whole bunch of other relationship issues. It's a little bit of a trend that occurs in many relationships, although differently, um, when they go downhill. Um, If your relationship is amazing right now, that's awesome. Take a listen, and I hope that it will help you recognize some of the things that could lead your relationship to to start going downhill in the future and to recognize it and know what to do in that situation. Um, If your relationship is in a little bit of tension or stress right now, um, then listen to this and see if you are in this kind of pathway that I discuss. Um, And then if you recognize yourself here, use some of the tools that I'm going to share to get yourself out of there. We're also going to talk about in this episode some of the differences between men and women in the way that they respond to conflict, the way that they were raised, the way that they're taught to share or not share emotions, and how this can lead to strengthening your relationship. A lot of the ideas in this episode come from John Gottman, um, who is a researcher who does a lot of amazing scientific work and studies on what makes relationships work. Uh, From his book, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail, and How You Can Make Yours Last, primarily from the first five chapters, Um, but also in The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, which we've referred to a whole bunch of times in the show, um, which I really like as well, and in our blog, 
learnlab.ca slash blog. All right, so let's get into it. When people get married, usually at the beginning, everything's good. You know, they're very happy. They want to spend their whole life together. And then, as we know, many couples today eventually get to a point where they can no longer live together and they decide to get divorced. But what happens between the time when they're happily married and when they get divorced? Usually, I know this is a bit of a generalization because it's a little different for each couple, but I'm going to, in the first part, describe to you usually what's going on, and then I'm going to relate that to our upbringing and how gender roles and upbringing that people are taught um, as they're raised, and also a little bit about their biology and genes can, can get to that point, okay, and then what to do if you're in that point. So at the beginning, everything is all fun and games and beautiful, except that it's actually not. Um, in any relationship, even in the early stages, they, uh, there's conflict um, that arises because people are different, okay, and people are hard to deal with sometimes, and that's just normal. The media sometimes makes you think that it has to be lovey-dovey all the time. And if, the, you know, it's the slightest thing isn't all lovey, then, you know, you have to leave the person. But I'm just telling you now, I mean, extreme cases of abuse aside, there's always going to be something you don't like about your partner sometimes. There's always going to be tension. Sometimes there's always going to be conflict. That is okay if there is more positive things that make the relationship fun and worthwhile. So what's this magic ratio that John Gottman talks about is five to one. So for every one negative experience in a relationship that leaves you feeling down or sad or anxious or just, I don't know, like disappointed in the relationship in some way, there should be five positive experiences that leave you feeling happy with your partner and understood that they care about you, that they're there for you. Five, two, one. Now, some of you might be listening to this and say, what? Five to one? One out of a hundred to one. Well, that's because people are people, guys. Humans are humans. No one is perfect. People are tired sometimes. People are grumpy. People are agitated. People have difficulty at work with their friends, with their social life. Sometimes they just don't want to deal with whatever's going on. Sometimes they're going to be just dissatisfied. Guys, this is life, Okay. Now, for every time that this happens, there should be five good times when you come together, when, let's say, for example, you're having a meal together and you're very happy, or they cook for you, your partner, or they go grocery shopping for you, or they, I don't know, help clean the house, or they listen to you and ask you how your day is going. Okay, five to one. Now, we talked a lot about self-care on the show before, and we're going to get a lot more into self-care on the wellness episodes from our interviews um, that are going to be on stage two. But just a note about self-care here is the better care you take of yourself, the less likely the negative experiences are to arise, okay? Because if you sleep well, eat well, exercise, you're going to feel better more often. Remember, we said if you're not happy, I want to ask yourself, Like, I really want you to ask yourself, if someone else was acting exactly in the way that you're acting, would they be happy? And the answer is usually no. No, guys. No, if you're not exercising, you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're not not making time for yourself, you're not treating your thoughts as if they're worth thinking about, treating your values as if they're worth discovering more, treating your dreams as if they're worth pursuing, you're going to feel bad, okay? 
So by doing those things, we can have more of the positive, okay? If it's better than five to one, that's awesome, but you should aim for at least five to one positive to negative experiences in your relationship. Now, as relationships start to go downhill, if your relationship does go downhill, now not every relationship does, but for the ones that do, this five to one positive to negative ratio starts to go down and eventually you get more negative than positive. And, and when you have more negative than positive, you start to wonder, is this right for me? What am I doing? I mean, I hope that you only start to wonder that when you have more negative than positive, because some people hit one negative event, guys, one. And they're like, I deserve everything to be perfect. And I'm like, whoa, 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 this is real entitlement. No, I don't care who you're with. I don't care if they're the Dalai Lama, okay? There's going to be times when you're not fully satisfied just because... That's our nature, guys. Humans are inherently not always satisfied and not always happy. We talked about this on our episodes on happiness, where if you ask people to rate how happy they are from a scale of 1 to 10, they will almost always rate at the 70% mark, 7, okay? Or if you ask them 1 to 7, they'll rate around 5. You usually get a nice bell curve distribution around there because that is just humans, guys, we get used to our surroundings. We're not always fully satisfied. If you're expecting to always be satisfied, I'm sorry, you're not going to have it in your relationship. And quite frankly, anywhere in your life. And that's okay. Because if there's always more that we could have, it, it leads us to pursue more, which may be good for the development of the human species. Okay. Being dissatisfied with one method of farming may have led people to want to innovate new ones. And that's just okay. Okay. Don't expect things to be perfect. They're not going to be. It's impossible. Consider if you told your grandparents that they could have all the music they ever wanted to listen to in their pockets for $5 a month if they're a student or $10 a month on Spotify if they're an adult, and they would tell you that that is like the ideal heaven. Oh my goodness, if they had that, they'd be so happy. And then people have it today and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm unhappy. And that's what I'm just saying. You're going to get used to something. You can't always be happy. Not everything is always going to be perfect. Okay. Five to one. We talked about this, expect negative, it's going to be there sometimes, but have five positive, two, one, negative. Okay. Now, when, what, what happens? So what creates this negative? There are a number of things that could be creating the negative. One just being like stress from work, stress from something else going on in life, okay? Just being dissatisfied, like being unhappy over something personal, not sleeping well. That, that's some normal stuff. But there are other things too, like major, major things that can cause these negative interactions and in relationships, which we're going to get into a little bit more later, but I want to bring them up now, is not being satisfied with physical intimacy in the relationship, okay? And housework. These are two big, big, big ones because they mean different things for different partners, which is why it's so important that you communicate your needs clearly through some sort of check-in, okay, that you have with each other and recognize that you aren't perfect. And that's okay if you make mistakes sometimes, but you can ask for help to how to get on how to get better. People are scared to ask their partner what their needs are because they don't know if they can fulfill them. Okay. But just don't, you don't have to fill like them perfectly. You just have to try. That's a big thing. Okay. Um, housework and physical intimacy. So often I don't want to, I don't want to like put stereotypes here, but it's often the case that a woman will expect the husband to do, like the, the wife will expect the husband or the woman will expect the man to do more housework than they're doing. 
and the man overestimates the housework that they're doing, okay? So it might mean very different things to the man and the woman. So the man might be like, I'm satisfied with things the way they are. Why do I have to put them in the dishwasher differently? Why do I have to clean it differently? Why, you know, it looks clean enough. Why do we have to do it that way? That's one. Or they may say like, listen, I work really hard. It's not my role. Okay, that's another, that's another reaction you might get. Um, but it's just important to recognize this throughout is that just because it doesn't mean a lot to you doesn't mean that it doesn't mean a lot to your partner. So to the partner, which in, in, I, don't, I, don't, I, mean, I don't want to stereotype, but it's usually the, the woman in the relationship will say, like, okay, I, don't, I know that you don't care if it's dirty, but to me, it's, I, I don't want to live in a dirty house. And the man will overestimate the work they're doing, um, and they won't want to do more, and that will cause a lot of tension on the woman. Okay, that the woman will feel. Um, so, so just a, a thing to men listening to the show. Women generally find men who do housework sexier. Now, I know some of you are listening to this and thinking, men who do housework are weak. I don't want to do housework because that's a that's a you might you might think still. I mean, some people still think this that it's a woman's job, or you know that she'll think that you're you're not manly if you do housework. But from what I've read and from my experiences, um, women generally find men who offer to do housework, like without being asked, sexier, they're more satisfied with them, um, and they want, to, they, they want to show how happy they are. Because like, it makes them really happy if you help with household tasks too. For example, shopping, getting groceries, making dinner, cleaning, keeping things organized. And yeah, there are many men who are amazing at this. That's awesome. Okay? But just bring it up to your partner. Say, if I did more of this, but it make you feel better. Okay, for example, to reduce the tension. Another thing that causes tension, which I mentioned, is physical intimacy. So the man sees physical intimacy, I'm talking here sex, differently than the woman, often in a relationship, because of ways that they were raised. By the way, the way that men and women were raised is going to lead to huge differences in the way that they perceive conflict, emotions, and stress, which I'm going to get to in the second part of this episode. So a man will often see physical intimacy, okay, as a way to demonstrate that the girl, that, that the woman in the relationship likes him, values him, okay? If a man tries to pursue sex, for example, with a partner, and the partner doesn't want to do it with them, or isn't in the mood, the man might feel very, very, very rejected, which is a big, big thing here, because it means different things to men and women, Men generally see sex as an opportunity to create intimacy, to create connection, I should say. And they, they see it as the ultimate form of intimacy in the sense that if, if they can have it with the woman, okay, sorry, if they can have it with their partner, it means that their partner loves them. It means that their partner is satisfied with them and cares about them and, and thinks highly of them, okay? Now, a woman will often not see sex so much as something to create intimacy as much as, I mean, it can create intimacy, but it's also a product of already having strong connection in other domains. So whereas a man may not need generally a lot of emotional arousal, connection, like like all of these other domains to be able to, like to want to engage in physical intimacy, it's much more important Generally, I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but it is generally much more important for a woman. So complaints that women often have are, I don't understand why the man wants to initiate physical intimacy if we just had a fight or if we're not communicating so much. 
And they also complain, I don't know why a man, like the, the men in the relationship, goes straight for their very sensitive body parts instead of first touching other places, kissing, caressing, holding, um, connecting on a deep emotional level, okay? So that's just a very important thing to talk about. What does physical intimacy mean to you? Because I'm telling you, you and your partner, especially if you're in a heterosexual relationship, um, could have very, very different ideas of what it means to you. So these are two, housework and physical intimacy are two very common pressure points, at the tension points in the relationship. That can lead to, now what I want to describe is the, the steps that bring a happy couple to divorce, okay? I want you to recognize these steps because they usually, like, they, they often occur in couples who have divorced, um, but by recognizing them, you can know what to do to avoid them. Or not necessarily avoid them, but just know how to deal with them, okay? So, everything's great, and then there's some sort of tension. It could be from one of those two pressure points. It could come from something else. By the way, it could come from a soft spot. Remember we talked about soft spots, things that get you from zero to 100 really quickly, unrelated to the relationship, like another experience you've had in your life. It could be related to your own dissatisfaction with yourself, like having low self-esteem. It could be that you're not taking care of yourself and you're projecting that onto your partner, okay? And you blame your partner for your own unhappiness. But really, it's just because you're not exercising and you're not eating well. Okay, so I want you to think, what are you bringing into the relationship? Because there is always something that we are responsible for, I'm telling you. And then when you see responsibility, it's an amazing thing. Because suddenly it gives you an opportunity to, to do something about it. When, when you ask yourself, where am I responsible? You suddenly recognize that there are things you can do, which is so liberating because no longer do you feel stuck as if there's nothing you can do. But hey, actually, there's something I can do about that. That's an amazing, amazing feeling because it means that you can move on from it. You can grow from it. Okay, so tension comes. Let's go to the cycle again. So everything's good. Tension arises. Then you get into these four horsemen, okay, um, of the apocalypse, um, which is what John, John Gottman calls them. Um, but there are, there are four things that come in stages into your relationship which can lead to the ultimate destruction of it and divorce. So, tension arises, okay? With a partner over housework, over intimacy, over something else, over something you bring into the table, there's tension, there's some sort of dissatisfaction. Now, first, the first horseman is criticism. Then it's contempt. We're going to go into each of these in more detail. And we talked a little bit about this in conflict resolution, but I, I want to spend a lot more time on it here. Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, okay? All of this leads to flooding, okay? We're going to get into this and, and gender differences and flooding. We're going to get into it. Then that leads to isolation, okay? parallel lives, loneliness, and from that place of loneliness leads either a separation, an affair, or, or something else, okay? Um, we're going to go through this now, and I want you to recognize if you've seen this before, okay? It could be with your parents, with peers, other couples, or, or in your own relationship, and just to, to be able to notice it as it, if it does arise in your relationship, okay? So there's some sort of tension. Now, what do you do when there's tension? Like if your partner's doing something and it's bothering you, what do you do about it? You could either complain, 
or you could criticize, and I'm going to break down the difference for you here. Complaints, complaints, sorry, complaints are very specific, and it's not saying that there's something bad with the partner. It's saying that there's something bad with what they're doing. Okay, I'll give you an example. And also, they usually start with I. Remember, we always recommend I statements. It seems to me like, I feel like I'm noticing that, or like, okay, I, I, in conflict resolution, um, because they're much less intense to your part, for your partner, um, much less likely to lead to flooding, which we're going to get into, um, instead of you statements. But okay, so a complaint starts with I, is very specific, not directly related to the, something about the partner, but more about their actions. I'll give you an example. Here's a complaint. I don't like it when I come home and the kitchen and the house, like the kitchen is a mess. Um, like the plates are, like there's a high stack of plates in the sink um, and the floor is dirty. That's a complaint, okay? I don't like it when, and you're specific. Or it bothers me that there's a stack of plates in the sink that are dirty and they've been sitting there all day. When I come home from work, I, I, I would like to see the sink clean. That's a complaint. You could tell that to your children. Um, you could tell that to, like, okay, partner. I mean, for coworkers, it could look something like, I don't like it when we have a project and we don't, you know, we don't communicate so much about it. And I, I don't like it when it's left to the last minute and I find myself two days before it's due having to do what feels like all the work myself. That's a complaint. Okay, specific starts with I. That's okay, and I encourage you, whenever you need to communicate some dissatisfaction, to use complaints. Now, by the way, here, there's a big misconception that it's not okay to complain. In some of the studies that the Gottman Institute, John Gottman, um, was a part of that he, he talks about in this, in this book, Why Marriages Succeed or Fail, um, he says that couples who complain in their early years were way more likely to be together after three years then couples, sorry, newlyweds who complain, way more likely to be together after three years than newlyweds who don't complain. Um, and the reason being is because when you don't complain, you hold everything inside, things just build up, build up, build up, okay? And eventually you're not going to be happy with the situation. So it's like when you complain, you give yourself a chance to change your surroundings to something that is more pleasing to you. And guys, like people are different, <laughs> men and women were raised in entirely different worlds with entirely different expectations and experiences, which we'll get into this. Um, but also just like everyone's different, okay? So things that work for your partner may not work for you. And you have to tell them that. If you don't tell them, like it's not going to change, it's going to bother you so much that you're going to wonder like, what am I doing here? This isn't working out. It's possible. So that's, it's just so important. If something's really bothering you to say it, Okay. Just to say it so that it can be fixed and adapted to you. It's okay to complain if you do it with I statements and you're specific, okay? Now, some people, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to be too critical here, but people who are, I, I find, less mature, okay, go to criticism, okay? Criticism. Criticism is different to complaint, complaining because it usually starts with you. And instead of critiquing an action that a person is doing, okay, you actually criticize their character. Now, it's okay to have some criticism in an exchange. It's only human. 
Um, all humans criticize. Like, it, it's okay. It's just try to complain way more than you criticize, okay? Because complaints are specific. And because of that, they're solvable. For example, I don't like it when the dishes are high in the sink. It bothers me when the dishes are left dirty overnight. That is something that can be fixed. It's like, okay, there's a solution to that. But try and find a solution in a criticism, okay? Which fundamentally goes against the person's character. Here's a criticism. You are so lazy. How could you leave dishes piled up in the sink? That's disgusting. Do you have any awareness of your surroundings? Do you even care about me or respect me living in this house with dishes in the sink? I do everything. And what the heck are you thinking leaving these for me? Okay, what? Do you think I'm supposed to do everything? That is criticism, criticism. And more than that, we also used other things like negative mind reading, like thinking, trying to assume what the other person's thinking, like what you think that I'm supposed to do everything, when, when really that's not what they're thinking, guys. Don't try to read minds. You don't know what they're thinking until you ask. And it's very, I don't want to say mean, but like very not enjoyable if someone tries to read your mind and they do it wrong. And people do this today, especially around some topics around, about psychology, which I really don't like. People say things like, oh, you're so controlling. You learned it from your father. You're just trying to control me right now. And guys, I'm telling you, you see what you try to see. So if you're looking for that, you will find it. And if you're not looking for it, you won't find it. And I really don't like that because someone's going to say, I'm not trying to control you. Like, don't put words in my mouth. And it's like, no, you just can't see it. But it's like, wait a sec. I know what I'm doing. And I know that I'm not trying to control you. I'm just trying to help you. So don't go thinking and making up some story that... That, that's what's going on because it's not. I don't like it when you, you know, change my thoughts and, and you, like, you put words in my mouth. Guys, don't do that, okay? Don't, don't, don't do that. It's very negative. Now, and, and also it's very harmful and destructive to, like, to any interaction. No one likes to be told what they're thinking when they know what they're thinking is different. Don't try to read minds, okay? Just ask. And guys, people are really bad listeners, like, especially in this generation, like, the younger generation today. People are really, really... Okay, sorry. I don't want to say that. And People, I find, in relationships today that are a little bit younger are generally... I don't want to say generally. Sorry. I find... What I'm trying to say is that a lot of people are really bad listeners, um, which is unfortunate. They have a discussion with somebody and they're only thinking about what they want to say, not, you know, not actually what's going on. So just try to listen to what your partner is saying, Okay. I'm not trying to control you. Um, I'm just trying to help. Oh, wait, so you weren't trying to control me? That's, that's an example of listening, okay? Like, being, try, try to really listen to what your partner's saying because especially in times of conflict, it's really hard to, especially today, but just try, okay? So important to listen. Okay, so criticism, criticism. You're so lazy. You're so... Um, like, you're, you're so bad, you're so this, you're so that. It's criticizing, like, it, it's saying something against their character. But if you tell someone you're so lazy, A, it doesn't point out the problem. B, there's no solution. It's like, oh, nothing can be done because you're just lazy. Guys, no one likes to be thrown in a hole and told that they're lazy and that there's nothing that they can do about it, okay? No, 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 no. Guys, when you say things like, it bothers me that there's a lot of dishes in the sink, um, I don't like it when they're not cleaned. 
it makes a solution okay to clean them. When you say you're so lazy, it doesn't make a solution. And it just hurts the partner, guys. People don't like to be hurt and people distance themselves from people, like from people that hurt them. Okay? After criticism, which is talking negatively about their character, it goes to contempt, which is criticism with the intention to hurt. Okay? So let's say you're really upset at your partner. You tell them something like, you are so unbelievable. You are so mean and lazy. I can't believe you would do that to me. Who do you even think you are? And you're trying to hurt them. This is an example of contempt. Okay? And it's really, really, really hurtful to, to partners. Okay? So complaining. I don't like it when. Okay, you're specific. It's, it's the event, not the person that's the problem. Criticism. You go against the person's character. Contempt. You go against their character with an intention to hurt them. Okay, so this could be like walk, mocking them, whining at them, rolling their your eyes at them, using like saying something very hurtful to them. Guys, it's very, very hurtful to be on the receiving end of contempt. Okay. Now the next thing is if the partner is very hurt, they're going to get defensive because no one wants to feel like they are responsible for doing something with somebody who hurts them, okay? So they're gonna try to not take responsibility. Because, like, if, some, if you're hurting them, it's like, why should I take responsibility? Okay? Defensiveness. It wasn't my fault. Yeah, but if only you would. Yeah, but I would have. But, okay, these kinds of things. Just defensive, trying not to take responsibility. Now, another thing that happens as defensiveness builds is stonewalling. Stonewalling is when you're talking and you feel like you're talking to a brick wall. Okay? It's like... You're trying to talk to them and just nothing is getting through. They're ignoring you. They walk away. Um, they don't want to engage with you. Stonewalling, okay? Talking to like a brick wall. Stonewalling leads to um, isolation, okay? Because you're not engaging with each other so much. There's not a lot of connection. Um, leads you to feel isolated, which then leads you to feel lonely. And then when you feel lonely, um, you some people at this point, with like which I think is awful, I don't recommend anyone ever does this, is seek an affair or um, breaks the relationship. Okay, so this is the stage. There's tension, which goes from complaining to criticism to contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, isolation, loneliness, and then the destruction of the relationship. Now, I'm not saying that every negative event is going to lead through the cycle, but the deeper you get through the cycle, okay, the more likely your relationship is to be destroyed. And it comes from not knowing how to react to this cycle, not knowing how to deal with it, okay? Not recognizing the things that cause tension, not recognizing how to keep them low, okay, in the cycle, like to not go from, from complaining to criticism um, and, and just to get out of the cycle if you're in it already. And I'm going to talk, if you're in the cycle, about other things that start to happen is, guys, no one, no one likes to be with somebody who hurts them. If, if someone is hurting you a lot, you want to distance yourself from them because no one likes to be hurt, okay? So that's why people start to leave these, lead these parallel lives and, and be defensive because they're like, you know, why should I deal with this person? They're hurting me. But it's also, things start to develop like righteous indignation, which is like, I feel morally superior to this person now because... I, you know, I can't think that someone who's hurting me is above me. I want to feel above them because it makes it easier 
to tolerate the hurt. Like if I think that they're below me, then it doesn't hurt as much if someone who's below me is hurting me instead of someone who's above me. Because if I know better than them, then their hurt shouldn't matter so much. Guys, these are all, all unconscious defense mechanisms to not get hurt. Okay. The other thing is the more you're hurt by somebody, the more your body tries to distance themselves from this person, you're going to have a really hard time remembering the positive interactions you had with them because you're going to just start to see them as a very negative and, and person who like hurts you a lot. And that if you can't remember the positive moments anymore, it's going to be really hard to want to stay. And, and what I'm saying is you see people for what you focus on. We talked about this in the last two episodes where the more weight you put on something, the more you notice it. For example, if you want to buy, you know, new shoes, suddenly you notice everyone's shoes when you would have never noticed it before because you're putting more weight on it. If you're trying to notice the negative in your partner, you're going to see the one night a week when dinner wasn't ready because they had to hang, you know, they wanted to hang out with their friends instead of the six nights when dinner was really good or the one time when, you know, they, they were late when they came on time all the other days. People see what they choose to see, Okay. The other thing is the story that the partners say about the other partner will change drastically too. When you start to think of the person as a bad person, it's going to be really hard to even notice the good things in them or see any good intent. And the story in your mind is going to be different too. For example, if your partner comes home stressed, instead of saying, oh, they're stressed because they had a hard day at work, let me try care for them and soothe them. Let me give them a hug or give them some time alone until they calm down. Then we can talk about it. Instead of saying that, you're going to say, they're such a bad person. They're always stressed. Like, I work so hard, and who are they to be stressed when they come home? And guys, if you have that mindset, it's going to be really hard to want to soothe them when really soothing them is the best thing you can do to make the situation better, okay? So just you, you're, the story you tell yourself is going to change drastically, which is going to make it really hard to deal with the situation. And it's going to be harder to notice the good. I just, if there's, if there's one thing that like you can really, really take away from this, remember we talked about lenses we talk about it in our course too, is you see what you choose to see. Okay. If you choose to see the negative, trust me, no matter how good they are, you will find negative. If you choose to see the positive, no matter how bad they are, you will still at some points see positive. I recommend a healthy balance between the two extremes. Okay. Don't be like totally blind and you know, someone's being like very, um, like very hurtful and you try to always see the good, but also don't always see the bad because then you won't see any of the good you're, they're doing either. Okay. Look for a balance. I want to talk now a little bit more about, about the cycle. Okay. So from complaining to criticism, to contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, loneliness, sorry, isolation, loneliness, and then a separation. Okay. And a little bit about the differences between men and women and the way that they experience this cycle. And women listening to this is going to be especially, especially important for you as well to really pay attention to this, okay? Because the woman in a relationship is often the one that brings up issues with the partner. And usually, I'm sorry to the men who are listening to this, but usually have a higher tolerance for dealing with emotion before they get overwhelmed. And I want, I want to talk about this a little bit more. So there have been a lot of studies by the Gottman Institute, John Gottman and their team, where they put heart rate monitors, blood pressure monitors on men and women in a relationship, and they watch them have an argument, okay? And what happens is the man's heart rate usually shoots up 
way faster than the woman's. The woman's heart rate will stay relatively calm, but the man's heart rate will go up to 90, 100, 110 very quickly, whereas the woman's will stay 70, 80. Now, if that happens, remember we talked about the stress response. We said that when your heart is racing, okay, you, 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 the stress res response gets activated, your amygdala suddenly becomes more able to regulate, okay, what's going on in your body because your frontal lobe that does a lot of the thinking, the thinking brain becomes a bit inaccessible now, okay, because your amygdala can override it more easily. It's as if your feeling brain took control of the car, floored the accelerator, remember this analogy from um, back in July, um, and takes the car off-road. And then you try to connect with the thinking brain, but it's not online because the feeling brain is in really running the show. Okay, remember, women, and I don't, again, I don't want to stereotype, but this is usually the case, women have way more experience than men in dealing with emotion. And it comes down, I think a lot of it comes down to this. Imagine that there are two like six-year-old kids, and you know, I, I worked with kids for many years as a camp counselor um, and at a community center. Um, imagine there are two kids, okay? You can even see this with your kids maybe. Six years old, boy and a six-year-old girl, okay? Or let's go up even to eight-year-old, an eight-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl. If they fall, okay? If the girl cries because she's sad or because she fell or something, she's immediately probably going to become the center of attention in the group. The other girls are going to come and soothe her, you know, care for her, make her feel that it's okay, okay? If the boy cries, he's going to get teased, 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 called a crybaby. And, and you might be thinking, no, 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 this isn't true. But guys, I'm telling you, look at any school playground. It is true. Like, very true. And it's just the thing that boys are not really allowed to cry. They're not allowed to cry. They're not allowed to show emotion. If a boy falls, he tenses his fist. He gets angry. Like He makes like a really intense facial expression. He's trying to hold back his tears because he knows that if he cries, he will be teased for maybe years if he gets the label crybaby, mama's boy, all these negative labels that they don't want, okay? These are like the worst labels that an eight-year-old boy can get. Okay? And I know, notice this even with your kids. Like, when your girl cries, what do you tell her versus when your boy cries? Okay? Because I, I, I'm willing to bet that subconsciously you're actually more receptive to your girl when she cries than your boy. Because, guys, boys are taught from a very young age not to cry, not to show emotion. Okay? For boys, it's all about the sport. There's a saying that um, boys play, I think it was something like, Boys play group sports, uh, team sports, because they want to compete. Um, and girls play group sports because they want to be part of a team. And what I mean by this is for girls, and again, I don't, I don't want to generalize, but this is usually the case. For girls, the connections between people on a team is often more important than the game itself. So, for example, like if girls are playing hopscotch or they're playing... Um, like like different different kinds of games, like with skipping rope, okay? It's an excuse to talk. And talking is really important. The, the whole purpose of it is actually the relationships of the game. It's, it's the relationships going on in the game, okay? 
who's friends with who. If somebody says, I'm not your friend anymore, then there can be crying. There can be like a whole stop to the game. Okay? Now, in boys, the relationships between the players on the team are often way less important than the game itself. So, in, in like professional sports and playground sports, boys almost never stop the game. Okay? The game has to continue. Nothing can stop the game. If someone says, I'm not your friend anymore, it doesn't matter because they're trying to win. They're trying to compete. Okay? The game is more important than the dynamic between the players often, okay, in terms of boys. And big thing, big thing, boys are not allowed often, often, often to show emotion. They're taught to hide their emotion. Now, I want you to just imagine this because boys and girls are kind of growing up on separate planets from when they're like five, six until they're like 16, 18. They're on a different planet. I mean, they go to the same school maybe, but they only hang out with people of their own gender usually, okay? And they're doing very different things. And girls have 10 years more experience now between 6 and 16 um, and, and more to teen years being allowed to talk about their emotions and, and work on their emotions, okay? And another thing is girls may biologically be better able to soothe themselves from as than boys because I, you can see this with toddlers sometimes. If there's like a, a three-year-old boy who wants to play on the playground and you say no, he can scream, 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 punch, kick, cry, 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 so much that you have to give them two timeouts when they get home because they cry the whole car ride that they want to stay on the playground more. Whereas a girl, like a three-year-old girl, can soothe herself a little bit better, usually stops crying if you start playing like their favorite song and they sing along or, or they see their friend. Girls, I think, with being allowed to show emotion in society and maybe biologically being better able to soothe themselves, I think have a higher tolerance for emotion than boys, okay? Which means that the boy, the man is usually, okay, going to get flooded first. I'm going to get into this now. Flooding. Flooding is when you get so overwhelmed with emotion that you cannot think. You just have to get out. You can't think. You can't process what's going on. You're just like overwhelmed. Like, have you ever seen somebody like very stressed and they're like, um, like they just, they don't know what to say. Or like, they're just like, I have to, like, I have to go, I have to go for a walk or like just not being able to respond or like just not knowing what to say, feeling very, very anxious. This is an example of flooding. Okay. I want you to imagine like drowning, drowning. They are so immersed in their emotions that they cannot respond. Okay. It's overpowering them. Now in John Gottman's lab, what they found is that men get flooded way easier than women. So a man can get flooded usually in criticism. A woman tells them something like, you're so selfish, you don't care about me, flooding. Whereas a woman usually only gets flooded at contempt when the man is trying to hurt her, okay, through attacking her character. So women, women, pay attention to this. A woman will often not expect the reaction she gets from the man. Because if she said that to her girlfriends, you're so selfish, the girlfriend would like laugh it off. Or she would be like, like, no big deal, okay? And the conversation would keep going on. But the man gets so overwhelmed, his heart starts racing. I'm telling you, you can see this in the lab. If you put heart rate monitors on the two, on the, on the two couples, 
starts racing and just can't respond, has to get out of there, has to go for a walk, has to distance himself till he can calm down, okay? Now, women, message to women here and then to men, don't expect the same dynamic you have with your girlfriends with your male partners, okay? They can get flooded way easier than your female friends. They have less experience talking about their emotions generally because it is not allowed from pretty much age 6 to age 22, 24 with their male friends, pretty much their whole life. They're not allowed to talk about emotion. They're not used to it, okay? And they're not allowed to cry. It's very, very hard for men, like at least in the the beginning of a relationship, to feel comfortable talking about emotions because they're just taught not to and it may be harder for them as well as we, as we see from the flooding to stay calm in these events so a woman if she sees her man not responding in criticism she will level it up to contempt okay she will go up to contempt to try to get a response from him but he is so flooded so flooded now that she can't get any response from him and he has to distance himself to calm down and it can take hours to calm down Okay, so what happens here? The woman is given criticism and contempt. The man is distancing himself because he's flooded. The more the man distances himself, the more the woman raises the bar, contempt, defensiveness. The more the man distances himself, the more the woman raises the bar again. And it's a cycle until the breakdown of the relationship. Okay, message to men now. When men distance themselves, they usually don't see it as a significant problem because male friends with their male partners are often distancing themselves, often not wanting to talk about emotion, and it's normal. Like, you know, something comes up with your friends, you say, I don't want to talk about it now, and it's fine. It's fine. It's acceptable. You guys can go on and continue doing what you're doing, okay? You don't have to address problems to be on the same team, amongst many male friends. You can still go out, you can still do what you want to do and keep problems on the side. If you don't feel like talking about a problem in the moment, it is usually okay amongst men. And I can't speak for all men, but I can just speak from what I've read in my experience. It's usually okay within a group of men to keep hanging out and put problems on the side temporarily and to distance yourself. Like generally, like between men, if a man feels overwhelmed, he can go for a drive. He can go do something, play video games. I mean, I don't, I don't want to give stereotypes, but like work on a project, be alone, and it's totally okay for them. Like totally okay to be alone sometimes and to just work on something, not needing to get the problem dealt with at the moment, get back to it when they're calmed down in a week, in two weeks, whenever. That's okay. Now for women though, a man wanting to spend time on his own may feel very, very, very stressful for the woman because for the man, he's just being neutral. He's saying, I don't want to deal with this right now, so I'm going to be alone, okay? I'm going to go to the basement. I'm going to do my own thing until I'm ready to deal with this later. And that is acceptable amongst what he learned with his male friends, okay? But a woman is going to say, often, he's rejecting me. I can't believe he doesn't want to talk about this right now. He doesn't care about me. He's rejecting me. And the script goes on and on in their head, making them feel so bad about what's going on. But the man doesn't see it as rejection. He just sees it as some time for himself. And that's a message to men too. And to women, guys, you can't expect the same dynamic that you have with your, with your other friends who are guys if you're a boy and other friends with, who are girls if you're a girl with your partner. 
You can't. You can't. You won't get the same thing from them. You were raised differently in totally separate worlds, guys. I'm telling you, girls and boys are raised on different planets in terms of how they're able to talk about emotions, what they're allowed to show. Emotions, crying, problems, okay, experiencing emotions for like 6 to 18, 20s, okay? And then they get back together and like they, they want to marry now. And I'm telling you, they come from different worlds. You cannot expect the same as the world that you were in. You have to recognize how different your partner is and how what you think you're doing isn't hurting them. It actually really, really hurts them for both, both genders. Because I'm telling you, many women will say, I didn't expect him to get so upset. I don't know why his, he felt so overwhelmed. He had to distance himself. I don't know why he needed time to calm down. Like that's nothing. But the man feels so overwhelmed by contempt, criticism, okay, all these things, because they're not used to hearing them with their friends, okay? And they're not used to talking about emotion too many, many, many of the times. Now, the man will say, I just want some time for my own. Why can't I go out with my friends for a few days? Why, like, like, I mean, not for a few days. I mean, like, why can't I go out with my friends right now? Why can't we just not talk about it for a few days? And the woman will say, oh my goodness, how? How are they putting this off? They're rejecting me. But the man doesn't realize because he's like, I'm just being neutral. But it's like, no, you're neutral. Not willing to deal with it right now is actually being seen as a rejection. So that's the message here is notice the gender differences between men and women. Okay? And recognize, recognize the cycle. Don't get to criticism. Don't get to contempt as much as you can. As much as you can, try to stay on complaining. Okay? Again, complaining. It bothers me that be specific. I don't like it that be specific, okay? I would like it if you're very specific here. It's a solvable problem if you say exactly what the problem is, okay? Now, if the person is not responding, for example, if it's like housework and the man doesn't want to do it or isn't doing it, don't go to criticism and contempt. I'm telling you, it will just make the problem worse. There are other ways to do it. Like to say things, for example, like, I know that you don't see it, like I see it, but this is very, very important for me. Okay? Or, I know that to you it doesn't matter if there are dirty dishes in the sink, but to me it feels like, I just feel so bad. And I, I know that you don't feel that way, but it feels very, very bad to me. And, and I know you want to care about me and make me feel good. Okay? And you're so good at that. And I still love you. By the way, another message here is, always remind the other partner that you still care for them, that you still love them, because criticism can make them feel like you don't love them, which is so, so important, okay? But I'd just really appreciate it if, could we please try doing this? And be specific, guys, specific, it's awesome, okay? For example, if they don't want to do it right when they come home, say, before we go to bed every night, can we spend five minutes putting the dishes away? Between 8 and 8.05, even if you want to be so specific, okay? Try doing that instead. I'm telling you, criticism doesn't work. does not work. It distances you guys. It will distance you. I'm telling you, it never works. Never. Never. And if it does work by some miracle in your case, it is honestly a miracle because it could have been done with so much less pain and so much less stress if, if, if it was done in a better way, okay, by being specific. And there's just a message to both partners here is recognize, recognize that you see the world differently, okay? So to, I don't, I mean, again, I don't want to stereotype, but if, if like, you know, for example, I'm saying for, for a male who's been living with, you know, in, with roommates uh, in college, the house was always dirty and never really bothered them, it may be different for your partner, okay? For a female. If, 
using contempt with your girlfriends, you know, wasn't so much of a problem, it might be a huge problem for your partner, okay, who's male, who doesn't have experience with emotions like this, the same way that you do. And to them, it means something 500 times bigger than you intended it to, okay? Be aware. You were raised on different planets. You are also raised in different homes. You see the world very, very differently, and you have to be aware of the differences between you and your partner. And it sounds hard, but it's actually beautiful because it gives you an opportunity to really learn about your partner and connect with them on a whole new level and build such a beautiful, meaningful, and strong relationship and make it exciting, guys. If it was so easy, you got bored. But that people keep changing, that there's so many differences between them, um, makes them, it, it really makes it so much more exciting, really. I mean, the more you have to do, the more work you have, the better the end goal feels, okay? If you don't have to work for it, it's not, it, do, it doesn't feel good when you get there, okay? So just be, be aware, please, of these differences um, and being raised, expectations, and also differences between genders, okay, sexes, how they, how they perceive emotions and interact with them. One last tip on stonewalling. Um, I just want to clarify, stonewalling, so it's like you're talking to a brick wall. How was your day? Good. What's new? Nothing. We have nothing to talk about. It's like, why are you like this? Guys, it hurts. It hurts, especially, again, the, I want to say, generally the female in the relationship, the woman, because we, but also guys, the male, because we all need emotional connection. But while you know, men with their, their friends, it's generally more acceptable to have these kinds of like distant reactions and that's okay as long as like they're playing the game. Um, if, if a woman is not used to this with her relationships, with her friends, it can be very damaging. So just, just a message here again to men is, is stonewalling. If you're not showing emotion and connection, it could be really, really hurting your partner and also make them less likely to want to be physically intimate with you. So that's a big thing. Because, like, the man needs time to calm down, so he's distancing himself from his partner until he's ready by not showing a lot of emotion and connection, which makes the partner not feel comfortable engaging in physical intimacy with them, which makes them feel rejected. Remember, denying physical intimacy often makes the men feel extremely rejected because they're taught that that means that the person loves you, okay? Like, men are often taught the girl likes you if she wants to be physically intimate with you, or you have the girl if you're physically intimate with her. And I know that this is negative, but guys, this is often what society is teaching men. So if a woman says no to it, then the man feels like he doesn't love the girl, like she doesn't love him, which is so important, guys. You need to talk to your partner about this. What does intimacy mean to you? What does it feel like if I tell you this? And it may be hard, again, for your partner to talk about how they feel, but just be aware that they could be feeling very, very, very differently to what you think. Okay? Very differently to what you think they're feeling. Just be aware. Um, and yeah, why does stonewalling occur? To protect yourself. If you're overwhelmed with emotion, you need some time to cool off, that's when you get to stonewalling. When you just don't want to interact because you feel overwhelmed. Now, if you use a lot of criticism and contempt, you can make any little interaction lead to flooding. Okay? Stonewalling is a reaction to flooding. And that's just like an important thing to consider because if you keep, if someone keeps getting hurt by you, they're just not going to want to engage and they're going to feel so anxious around you that they don't, you know, they don't talk. They like avoid you. They don't talk about their feelings with you. They don't talk about anything. They don't want to make eye contact with you. Guys, that is stonewalling and it hurts. It hurts to be stonewalled. Men and women can both stonewall, okay? 
It hurts to be the recipient of stonewalling more than the person who's stonewalling often realizes. So just be aware of that, okay? If you find yourself stonewalling, which is like not engaging, okay? Trying to avoid, trying not to like, you know, talk about how you feel, all this kind of stuff. Trying not to say hi, trying to, you know, just saying good, you know, not calling. It hurts on the other end. And I know that you're like, well, I'm hurt, so it's okay. But remember when I said in the vacuum, when there's a vacuum with no connection, people need connection. And the easiest way to get connection is through anger, okay? Fights may come to fill that void. So just be aware. Be aware of this, okay? In your relationship. If you're stonewalling, it can lead to more fights, which will lead you to distance yourself even more. So what's the answer to this? So, so basically, we, we talked about this criticism, contempt, okay? Defensiveness, stonewalling isolation, loneliness, and then the destruction of the relationship, and also a rewrite of the story that the couples are telling each other about their relationship, not being too able to remember any of the positive traits about their partner because they're so hurt from them. Remember this, guys. What's the answer? Try not to go there, okay? Don't, don't, don't use any of the four. And if you've been having these for a long time, the criticism, content, defensiveness, stonewalling, and you suddenly stop doing that, your partner might be very, like, like weirded out, like, why are you so different today? What are you trying to get from me? But just keep being nice, modeling what you want to see, very aware of them, okay? Very, very aware of them, very aware of how much they hurt your partner, even though you might be hurt too. I want you to try, look for the good in your partner. If you look for it, you will see it, okay? And over time, through like positive affirmation, saying nice things to your partner, describing them as a good person, seeking out the good in them, you will bring out the good in them, okay? And you guys can apologize for this whole mess that was created between yourselves, okay? But just remember, these things, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling, lead to your partner, especially the male partner, guys, to distance themselves, stonewall, because of flooding, okay? Now, if you think negatively of them, you're not going to want to soothe them when they have flooding. You're going to want to criticize them even more, which makes them even more flooded. Soon, they're not going to be able to deal with you because they make you, you make them feel so anxious that they can't even think around you, and they're going to avoid you, and they're going to try to disconnect with you, and then that leads to loneliness, isolation. By the way, guys, for both people, because everyone needs connection. If someone is trying to avoid you because they feel very lonely, okay, they're like... Or, or because they just feel very stressed around you, they're also going to feel lonely. So just try, recognize these four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? Don't do them, okay? Instead of being critical, okay? Um, instead of that, just complain. Instead of um, contempt, saying very negative things about your partner's character. By the way, when you say lots of negative things, you're going to bring them out in your partner because people act the way that you treat them. So if you treat them negatively, they're more likely to act that way in the end. Okay, instead of doing that, look for the good in them, guys. Say good things, positive affirmations, things you like about them. You'll bring that out, okay? Instead of being all defensive and trying not to take responsibility, look for where you're responsible. You are always responsible. What can I do about this, guys? There's always something that you can do about it. Always, always. 100% of the time, okay? Instead of stonewalling, completely disengage, disengaging, try to work on other forms of self-soothing, okay? Like going for a walk, exercising, um, meditating. There are lots of ways to self-soothe, going to a counselor as well. Although counselors can be very negative sometimes because they can make it seem like it's all your partner's fault and not your fault, um, unless your partner's also there. Also, a lot of counselors use their own, um, like, 
preconceived notions, um, things that they've heard not so much, although a little bit better today um, based on research. So just be aware of that too. Um, but yeah, okay. And so self-soothing, self-care, um, so that you're more able to engage with your partner. Remember all distance, emotional distance, okay, when you're not engaging hurts. So try to connect because humans need connection, guys. And honestly, if there's one last thing I can say as we're running out of time and have to end this episode, is that we all only have one life, okay? Like, we don't, we can't repeat days and we're all going to die one day. So if you find yourself really stuck, really, really far into the cycle of defensiveness, okay, of loneliness, isolation, and you feel so righteous, so entitled, who am I to be nice to this person that hurt me so much? Why should I care about them after all the things they said to me? Righteous indignation, okay, I'm morally superior to them, no, 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 no. Guys, we all need connection, and also we're all going to die one day, so you have to think about it. How many years do you have left, and how do you want to live them? Because it doesn't feel good to be morally superior, and maybe it does in the moment, but deep down, it feels really lonely. Really, really lonely, guys. Try to work on making it better because I'm telling you, you can't repeat days and time lost is time gone forever. So instead of trying to be righteous or something and not wanting to take action first because you think the partner should, just recognize that life is limited and try to live it as best as you can by taking action, okay? By opening up, being kind. Okay, and, and not doing those four horsemen, doing the opposite of them. Because you do have the power to fix your relationship in the vast majority of cases. You do. You just have to take the first step and recognize what's going on. Okay? Just because you're at isolation doesn't mean you need to get divorced. It really doesn't. And I'm telling you, I think most couples who get divorced just don't have the skills to deal with the problems that they have. Maybe they never learned them in school. Maybe they have too high expectations. Maybe they just don't know, okay? Like at all what to do. And that's okay. I mean, it's okay for children to whine and scream and not know what to do and kick. Um, but I hope that adults now with so much information available on the internet um, and books and courses can learn more of the tools that they can do to build a healthy relationship, to stay together, and to model better life for their kids. Because what model, are you, like, what are you telling your kids if, if you go through this cycle? If you use contempt with your partner, are you telling your kids that it's okay to use contempt with their partner? If you separate when things get tough, is there, are you telling your kids that it's okay for them to separate? All things to think about. What model do you want to show your kids? What do you want to be remembered by? And how do you want to spend the last few days of your life? The last few years, okay? Because we never know. So, you know, the past is history. The future is a mystery, guys, but we can try to make the present better. Try make tomorrow better. If you make each day 1% better than the day before, it will be 37 times or 37,000% better after one year. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it meaningful. We did go through a lot of content and some really deep and intense things on this month, so I hope it wasn't too much. I'm happy to hear your comments, though, what you think about the show. Please send them to contact at learnlove.ca, contact at learnlove.ca. I read all the feedback that we get, and I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. Uh, if you want to hear more from us, you can read our blog, learnlove.ca slash blog, for many of the topics discussed on the show in writing, with infographics, or you can see our YouTube channel, Learn to Love on YouTube. We're on social media at Learn to Love Media, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter. And check out, yeah, check back on this podcast page for more as we continue to post new episodes and get into season two, which is all about stories. 
We're going to interview a lot of really interesting people and release those episodes for you. Authors, counselors, um, and more. Um, some coaches and just people with really cool ideas, okay? About wellness and I hope that you will find this meaningful. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Can't wait to hear your feedback and see you in the next one.